0: This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org.
1: Welcome, glad to have you here. I see that the audio is working quite well. I don't have any way to control the volume, so you might have to plug your ears. Ahlan, uh, was we're glad to have each of you here this morning. And uh, I'm just delighted that you decide to wake up and give God this day and join us for this session. And I pray that there'll be something worthwhile for you. Let's have prayer as We begin. Dear gracious Lord and God, we, we come here recognizing that we are in your presence wherever we go. And we're so thankful that you are Lord of all. We ask that we may recognize you as Lord of our lives. And particularly now, Lord, as we think of the cross and the crescent, as we think of the vast mission field of the Muslim world and Muslims scattered throughout the world, we remember that these children of the East are your people, and we ask that you will equip us and inspire us to serve you and to serve them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just very briefly, my name is Glenn Russell. I have absolutely no qualifications for presenting this seminar. Um, However, just a little bit about me. I was born in Egypt. Uh, People always ask me why. It's very simple. My mother was there. That's why you were born wherever you were born. And so uh, my parents were missionaries in the Middle East for 27 years. I grew up in the country of Lebanon and have always had an interest in the Middle East and an interest in things of Islam. So I'm very happy that I have some people who are far more qualified here with us this morning. And I'm gonna ask our guests from Egypt and Lebanon to stand, please. One of them has run to the back of the room with a camera. That's Pastor Andres, who is the chaplain at Lebanese University. And then we have two ladies from Egypt. And Marshall is from Lebanon serving as a missionary. We're glad to have each of you here this morning. And uh, they'll be participating later I, I, as soon as I saw them here, I said, I'll go through my stuff quickly so that they can share the real stuff uh, coming from those lands there. So, let's spend a little time talking about the Crescent and the Cross. And because I don't know your backgrounds, I don't have any idea how much or how little you know. So, we're going to start with some very basic things. If you feel like I'm going too fast, don't worry. The uh, materials will be available online. The uh, the PowerPoint is available online as a PDF file on for all the sessions and you can see the location there. The longer address is like this, but if you put that much in it'll work and that'll come up again at the end of, the, uh, of our presentation this morning as well. So you can get the handout of everything we're saying so you don't have to furiously write notes or something like that. Uh, I tend to talk a little bit fast. I'm used to teaching so that's how things go. And uh, so you can get your online uh, handouts and that will, will help you just a little bit. One of the first things we should know, and now that I have people who speak Arabic, I can ask them if no one else answers. Does anyone know what the word Islam or Muslim comes from? What the root word is? Submission, okay, very good, very good. Lots of people think it means war, or it means something else, you know, it doesn't. It means submission. We might say surrender to, to God, but submission is probably a better word. And so a Muslim is someone who submits to Allah. Do you? That's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. Who is Allah? Well, that's a very debatable question. In some parts of the world, they're even passing national laws that no one but a Muslim should use the word Allah. In other places, they say, no, wait a minute. When any Arabic Christian opens his Bible and reads in Arabic, What do you think it says in the beginning? Allah. So it's just the name for God. It's Arabic word for God. Just like Christ is not an English word, it comes from the Greek word and so forth. So don't be afraid of the word Allah. What you have to understand is the difference in meaning that you might have. But the word itself, there's nothing wrong with using the word Allah. I know there's been YouTube videos and other kinds of things saying, you know, Pastor Dwight at one point referred to Allah and they're saying he's bringing Islam into the Adventist church and so don't, don't fall for those things. It's simply the Arabic word for God. Now how we interpret that and understand it, that should be considered f- further. Now the Shahada is the statement or testimony of faith and it goes like this. There's none worthy of being worshiped except Allah and Muhammad peace be upon him is the apostle Rasul Allah the uh, messenger of God. And my name, Russell, gets confused sometimes in the Middle East at customs and other places. I finally have to say Rasul and then they get, okay, the messenger Russell, they, they get close at least, you know. Now, as you know, Islam originated in the, in the Middle East, in the uh, Arabian Peninsula. And the, if you wanna think about dates, if you're historically inclined, there's only one you really need to keep in mind for sure, and that's 622, because Muhammad grew up in the pagan area of Saudi Arabia, he was in some contact indirectly with some Christians and Jews. Now, unfortunately, they weren't very good Christians and Jews. They were merchants and more, were more after God than they were after evangelism, so they didn't represent their faith well. But he had some contact and some connection, even through some family members who had, uh, uh, had become Christians. And so Islam begins as a as a religion, as he enters into a time in his life when he has some prosperity. Uh, At the age of 40, Muhammad is illiterate. He's not able to read or write, but he's very spiritually inclined. He begins going out of the city and meditating, reflecting upon God, and begins to receive visions. I'll not answer the question right now as to whether the visions were from God or from something else. Don't make that decision yet. First, spend some time learning about it. And those revelations lasted for 23 years, on and off, and they eventually became the Quran. Now, as the movement grew, it faced opposition. Interestingly enough, when they went from Mecca to Medina, they were welcomed, welcomed initially by the Jewish community. The Jewish community was very happy to have some, some other monotheists among the polytheist tribes. They're very happy for that until they began to realize that they couldn't convert Muhammad to Judaism, that he was going to stay with his own brand of monotheism. And then there were some conflicts over economics and the number of his followers and the number of theirs. There's eventually an assassination plot against him by the Jews. And those were some of the early signs of some of the tensions that may still continue. So Muhammad's followers faced more and more persecution in Mecca, eventually they were driven out, and in 622, or the starting year of the Muslim calendar, they fled from uh, Mecca to Medina, and this marks the official beginning of Islam. This is the date that their calendar and so forth is dated from. Eventually, Islam grew to become a theocracy that spread, Larger than the Roman Empire. Now, how many of you have studied anything about the Roman Empire in school? How many of you have studied anything about the Islamic empires? Mm, Some, but certainly a big difference. Well, let's look at the six basic beliefs very quickly. And I'm going quickly so we can have real life people share here. Uh, Six basic beliefs. The first one is monotheism. This is absolutely essential to Islam. There is only one God, Allah, okay? Allah is the Lord, the creator of the universe. He is the judge. He is Lord of all. So what particular Christian doctrine do you think they will have great difficulty accepting? The Trinity. The Trinity is a huge stumbling block. It feels to a Muslim that you're saying that there are three gods. And Islam focuses on monotheism, one god, that becomes a difficulty. For example even to use the expression that Jesus is God's son is problematic for a Muslim. As Muhammad Ali, you've probably heard of him, the boxer. As he said one time, he came to one of my classes. You know, I was teaching at Andrews and probably the main claim to fame for Barron Springs is that Muhammad Ali used to teach, uh, live there, you know? So he came to class one time and I said, Champ, talk to the students about about things, and he came and talked to them for a while, and he said, but Christianity, I just can't accept. The idea that God the Father would have sex with God the Holy Spirit and would have a son, Jesus, this is just totally wrong. And I said, you are exactly right, it is totally wrong. But that's what many Muslims think about Christianity. We don't think of it that way, but they think when you say Jesus is God's son, you're talking about a biological thing. So they totally reject the idea of the Trinity. Now, there are major evidences for the existence of God. Muslims love to study nature. They love to study biology, botany, all those different courses, astronomy, all the things in nature that point to a creator God. We share that point in common. In a couple of years ago... We had a group of Muslim scholars who came to Andrews to see how our scientists and theirs could work together on emphasizing God as the creator. Who would have thought that we'd have uh, that kind of common ground? So we see this. Also the Quran, which I'll talk about a little bit later, is very clearly evidence that there is a creator God and uh, the Quran is considered to be God's creation, God's words that are uh, given to us as human beings. Let's look at the next thing. Islam believes in many, many prophets. Noah, Abraham, Moses, there's over 50 uh, prophets that are mentioned in the Quran, overlapping many things within the Old Testament, as well as with Christianity. What about Jesus? Does a Muslim believe Jesus is a prophet? Yes. However, he's not the son of God, as I mentioned. That means they do not consider him to to be divine. The issue of the cross is is an interesting challenge for a Muslim. When the movie uh, The Passion of the Christ came out, throughout the Arab world, the Muslim world, there were people who were sneaking, Muslims sneaking out to go see it. Because they have a question. What really happened on the cross? Was a different person crucified? Uh, Was there a switch that took place at the burial? What what really happened? Some say, well, maybe Jesus was taken to heaven by God and will come a second time. That's another uh, view that's there. But Muhammad is the last and the greatest prophet. So what particular Adventist perspective do you think they would struggle with? Ellen White's role would be problematic because it raises the issue of a, fi- a final prophet or another prophet. The, the Quran, of course, and this used to be written sometimes with K-O-R, it's the same word. This is a little bit closer to the Arabic with the glitteral the stop, so the, the Quran, you know, so you have the the, the other books of, of Scripture are recognized. In fact, the Quran tells you that you should read the Torah, the, the Injil, the Gospels and the Psalms and so forth. But, Only the Quran is uncorrupted, according to a Muslim. This is why I want to tell you, if there's anyone here who is interested in serving hands-on in the Muslim world, you need to be willing to study Arabic. One of the most difficult languages, you need to be willing to study Arabic because when you're in a deep discussion with a Muslim about faith and religion, and if you use your English translation of the Quran, what's he or she going to say? But that's a translation, it's corrupted. If you go to the original, it says this, and if you don't know Arabic, you're stuck. So you have to understand the value of language and the Arabic language especially for this. So the Quran is in fact a copy of the divine Quran that is in heaven. There are no revisions of the Quran. There's no updated versions. It's word for word, exactly, literal uh, inspiration from heaven. Okay, God dictates in a sense. He speaks in a sense. So it's a very, very different view, this literal inspiration. It's considered to be perfect. Even if you don't understand Arabic, many Muslims will memorize uh, the Quran, even though they don't know what it's saying if they don't speak Arabic as their native language. By the way, what's the most populous Muslim country in the world? Indonesia, very good. This is a very, very bright audience. Uh, Very good. So the Quran is the most memorized book in the world. Anyone know about how long the Quran is? It's approximately the size of the New Testament, if that gives you a a round way to look at it, and many Muslims will memorize it. I won't ask how many of us have memorized the New Testament, uh, but it might be a goal for us, okay? It was not written down exactly at the time. Now this is where there's some debate among Shia and, and Sunni and so forth, but It was written down later, and I'll have to skip that. Very, very uh, interesting uh, process of development. Now, angels have a very special role. Anyone know what the role is? They are the ones who record the good and the bad. How many of you have heard of genie, by the way? Genie in the bottle? That's a misunderstanding of a Muslim teaching about the lowest angels, the jinn. Uh, and so forth. The primary work of angels is to record the good deeds and the bad deeds. For example, I was playing football, soccer with some guys one time, and this uh, fellow on the other team was really fouling many, many, many many people and and kicking them kind of hard and so forth. And, And he was a Muslim friend, and I smiled and said to him, after he fouled me and a couple other guys I said to him you know the angel on your left shoulder saw that he says I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry you know he he immediately remembered okay I'm going to face the judgment for everything in my life so I want to keep track of that you will see sometimes in the prayers and other times they will greet the angel on the left and the right and so forth of course the recording of the good deeds is for the the time of judgment on the day of judgment all of our actions will be will be measured it's not just one for one for example if you told the truth and then you killed somebody, they would not be equivalent one for one, one good deed, one bad deed, but it's, it's the measure, it's the quality of the deed, and all these things are measured, and Allah will uh, punish us based on good deeds or bad deeds. If the good outweighs the bad in quality as well as quantity, then we have heaven or paradise and so forth. Now, what about salvation? You've already gathered, then, what is the uh, way that salvation takes place? How is salvation? By By works, yes, by deeds, okay? Salvation depends on human merit. Um, Therefore, the idea of atonement or substitutionary atonement is very, very difficult for a Muslim to understand. For example, um, let's just uh, pick on a couple of people here. Your name is? Cynthia. Okay, thank you. Cynthia. And you, sir? Chris, okay. So we have Cynthia and we have Chris. And let's just say they're in one of my classes, and Cynthia every day is on time to class. She does all of her assignments, and she has a perfect score in the class. Good job. Okay, good job, Cynthia. Chris, on the other hand, sometimes sleeps in, and and sometimes he has struggles. Of course, this is not true at all, right, Chris? You'd never do a thing like that. He never has any struggle with his classes. And so... He gets a few things in late and he skips a couple of tests. And, uh, you know, at the end of the semester, they both get an A, even though he really had earned a D. And they're talking one day. And you say to Chris, How come you got an A? And he says, Oh, it's easy, you know. I have a friend. The teacher's my friend. And he gave me a grade I didn't deserve. It's called grace. Would you say that's fair? no it's more than fair it's called grace but for a muslim that feels very un how could you go through all your life doing bad things and then just say oh but i know jesus and he takes my place and you're in good i mean really the thief on the cross come on even the last acts that he's doing he's being judged as a thief and he's going to be in the kingdom because he accepts Jesus at the last minute. Do you get the picture? This is very, very difficult for a Muslim to understand, this idea of of substitutionary atonement, this idea of someone in your place. Although, and I'll come to this a little bit later, in their heart of hearts, there's a deep desire. There's a deep desire to have someone help them because they realize trying to earn your way to heaven is always discouraging. Have you noticed that? By the way, you don't have to be a Muslim to try to do that. Christians do it all the time, trying to earn our way to heaven. It's a very discouraging thing because you realize that I can never do that. And so this idea of of atonement, this one who comes in our place, is a very sweet truth when it has the opportunity to come. Real quickly, let's talk about the five pillars of Islam, which is an interesting thing, because I've never had a Muslim talk to me about the five pillars, but every non-Muslim who talks about Islam talks about the five pillars, you know? So it's kind of a Western way of doing that, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of continue in that, in that way. Um, The first pillar, Shahada, we've already mentioned, to bear witness, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is His messenger. Actually, to say that with conviction publicly in the presence of witnesses qualifies a person to become a Muslim. A few years ago, we had a student at Middle East University who was from, I won't say where he's from because I'm in the States now, I might be tracked down, but he was from the United States and he fell in love with a girl from Iran. And they were students there and they decided that they were going to get married and uh, they were telling me about this in the cafeteria one day and i said really have you been to her home he says no i've never been able to go to iran i'm american i can't go there and has she ever been coming no she can't get a visa to the states so you don't know each other's cultures at all she was of christian background but but uh you know it's a muslim country and they said i want to we want to get married and i said to him do you understand that in iran the only marriage that will be recognized will be a Muslim marriage. He says, really? I said, yeah, that's, you know, you need to talk to people at the embassy about this, which he had done some. He said, yes, I've already talked to them. They told me all I have to do is say this, I can become a Muslim, we get married, it's no problem. I said, you really need to be careful. Think about that. It's not just some words. It's a statement, it's a statement of belief, okay? And when you become a Muslim, you became a Muslim, and your children become Muslims. But in his young love, he rushed down to the embassy, and he said the shahada before the witnesses there, and he became a Muslim, and then he was able to marry the girl. The problem is, the children are what? The children are Muslim, and the complications go deep. So it's not something to say casually. Not something to say casually. Someone asked me one time, can you say this? Let me ask you, could you say any of it? There's no God but Allah? Would that, that could be said, right. The second part becomes problematic if you understand what it means in Islam that uh, Muhammad is the messenger, the final one, the ultimate one. All right. Prayer, as you know, is uh, required five times a day. Uh, let's just say honestly... Um, In the Muslim world, like the Christian world, there's all kinds of Muslims. Some are devout and some are casual. I have seen Muslims driving a taxi who will stop at prayer time and put out a prayer rug and begin to pray. And I've seen others go right on what they're doing right through prayer time. I've seen those who make no hiddenness about their faith And then I've seen others who pray almost like the way Christians do at the restaurant, you know, thank you for this food, amen. You know, and uh, we don't want anyone to notice and so forth. So you have all kinds of strands of Islam. Don't think every Muslim is very devout and so forth. Many are cultural Muslims. Some are folk Muslims and so forth. But there should be the ritual washing of hands. The holy day, of course, is, is on Friday. You should spend some time at the mosque. This is why many of the street protests over the last couple of years have taken place on Fridays because they go to the mosque, they pray, the Imam and then someone or someone else will give a sermon and we have that, uh, that whole experience. Now I have a chance to see
2: what the prayer involves?
1: Sylvia, what time in the day do you hear this? Twelve o'clock. Mm-hmm. And in the morning? Or five a.m. Uh-huh. Five times a day.
3: Yes.
1: Yes. And the mosques don't all start at the same time. So if you miss the first one at 5.30, another one will come. (laughs) And uh, I remember we were at Nile Union Academy, their alma mater. And uh, there was uh, some of my students who had come from the States said, "You know, we're afraid we won't wake up because of jet lag. We need to set an alarm. I said, no, you really don't need to. And they said, no, no, we need to set. I said, don't worry, you won't need to. On the four corners of now Union Academy, I think there must be like five mosques. I mean, you hear it over and over and over again. And uh, it's this call to prayer. But did you notice, come to success, come to success. Did you hear God calling you this morning to prayer, come to success? There's something wonderful. When, When I'm in the Muslim part of the world, every time you hear the call to prayer, I'm reminded, I need to keep praying. We don't have to become ritualistic. but We can use those as, as points to draw us to God. Fasting takes place, of course, during Ramadan. And if you've just come in, by the way, uh, at the end, the last slide will show you where you can get all these as handouts. You don't need to jot everything down because we're going a little bit quickly here. And uh, this whole idea of uh, not eating or drinking anything uh, during daylight hours is, is very difficult for a Muslim during Ramadan. Um, We also have the giving of of charity and uh, 2.5% to the poor and so forth. Uh, Pilgrimage to Mecca, the Hajj should take place if possible for every Muslim male at some point in their life. Especially go to the Kaaba which was the pagan shrine that Muhammad purified and uh, got rid of the 360 idols that were there. There was one for each day of the year in those days This white stone which became black uh, through people's sins, they go and this is the covering around it and they march by the millions as they come there. There are various feast days. This one I'll just mention. Let me go back to that for just a moment. Eid al-Adha is the feast of uh, sacrifice. It actually gives you an opportunity to talk a little bit about sacrifice and blood and and Jesus. If you're careful and, and appropriate, it becomes a time when they're thinking of sacrifice. And if you're in Cairo, at this time you will know what it is because there will be many, many, many uh, skins of animals and so forth there. The major groups there's two major ones Sunni and Shia, and we won't go into the differences here. Uh, but you can see most Muslims are Sunni, except in some countries there's more Shia. And they really differ over two major points. One is Uh, The lineage of the successor for Muhammad, and the other is the role of religion and politics. Those are the two major differences, the separation of civil and religious authorities. And uh, it used to be that more of the militants were were Shia, but that's not the case anymore. You have extremists in, in all camps, including Christianity. We also have the Sufi, who are kind of the more mystics. The whirling dervishes, some of you may have heard of them and and so forth now i'm going to skip a couple of slides here just for the sake of moving to our guests Uh, let me just say uh, one item here the word jihad this infamous word that everybody you know i give a true and false question in one of my tests the word jihad usually means uh holy war that's false in the quran most of the time it simply means the struggle in god's way striving in god's way if i build a mosque if i build a hospital if i build a school uh, all of, if I work for the sake of my family to know God, that is all part of Jihad. It's not all a, a holy war and so forth, so be, be aware of those dynamics. However, that has all been perverted and corrupted. Everything in the Muslim world has layers of politics upon it, and so we have these distorted uh, perceptions where many Americans have a lot of prejudice against Muslims. Um, I remember when 9-11 took place, I remember praying at the time, Lord, be with who, whatever group did this because it's gonna be miserable for them in the coming years. And that's exactly what has happened. Whatever is done by the West is viewed to be done by Christianity. And this puts many, many layers of baggage on. In fact, if you're a non-American and wanna be a missionary in the Muslim world, that's a better idea because you don't have to deal with issues of passports. So there is this issue of extremism. It's very definitely there. But Muslims are not terrorists. They're people of peace. and This is a gentleman I met in Jordan a few years ago. And uh, I think we need to keep those things in mind. I'm going to skip some of the parts about the lifestyle because I want to get to our guest. I think I'll just pause right here with this picture. OK? This is a young couple that I met in Egypt, in Alexandria. And they were so vibrant and so happy, I, I said to them, excuse me, uh, would it be possible for me to take your picture? And they were just delighted. You know, you always want to make sure you ask first. They were just delighted. I said, you were just so happy. How come? They said, we just became engaged. Uh, Young couple in love. He's a doctor. And uh, they're just very, very vibrant, uh, wonderful people. We, We visited for quite a while there. They didn't have a Facebook account or any way for me to email the picture. I keep showing it in hopes that someday they'll see it, you know. Um, but these are the kinds of people I want you to think about. Think about real people who have the same basic needs, they want to have a family, they want to have good health, they want to have peace, they want to have the opportunity to move ahead in their lives through education and so forth. So let's learn, learn a little bit more about them. Sylvia, would you come first? Yes. Uh, I told them when they walked in the room they couldn't just sit there, so. Sylvia, tell us just, we have four or five minutes, a little bit about yourself and about Egypt. Okay, um, I
0: come from Asyut, Upper Egypt, where our, our Adventist church was burned down last August, last August by the Extremist Muslim Brotherhood. And I finished uh, veterinary medicine. I graduated from Asyut University. And I've been working at a pharmacy as a pharmacist and as a translator. Uh, my boss is Pastor Marshall over there. I translate the Adventist World Magazine and the Mission quarterlies. Um, what else?
1: <laughs> what else, Pastor? Did you ask for? What's it like living in the Muslim world as a Christian?
0: It um, well, as Pastor Glenn mentioned, they um, uh, they struggle with the Trinity uh, concept. So for them, we're um, we're um, we're atheists, kind of. Um, I would like to to share some something with you. Uh, last year, uh, brought me three people who started to share their personal problems. One of those three people uh, is a Muslim lady who started to share with me uh, her personal marriage problems, and she comes to she visits me at the pharmacy uh, frequently, and she she comes to vent. So um, yeah. Um, recently i was successful to pray with her and i i I prayed a lot before i pray with her because it's really risky Um, especially in egypt especially that when i i talk to her about god i i in her eyes like like how how could an atheist speaks to me about god like i'm yeah, I'm a Muslim lady and we hold a true religion and you're talking to me, but but she's she, she thinks that God is, is not there. He doesn't he doesn't hear her prayers. Um, and one one important uh, thing that I wanted to share with you is my mission with Muslims is really way easier than my mission with non with 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 Christians, other Christians, non Adventist people. Yeah, so uh, I, 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 had, I had a hard time to deal with my, my, uh, my close friend because she's orthodox. And the orthodox church got the same Egypt that Adventist, uh, Adventist is, not, is not Christian. We are not Christian. So yeah, this is what I want to share. Thank you.
1: Does anyone have a question for Sylvia? Yes. Let me restate the question for the audio. The question is, if they don't consider Adventists to be Christian, what category do they put Adventists in?
0: Uh, they categorize us with Jehovah Witnesses, actually. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Sylvia, so much. Thank you, ahlan wa sahlan, yatik Sarah, please, if you would come. Um, Sarah is also serving in a very, very special kind of work. And I'll let her explain that for you. And uh, ahlan wa Oh,
3: and alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah thanks God in Arabic. Um, uh, my name is Sarah and I'm a pre-med student in American University in Cairo. Um, I, I served there as a Waldensian student. Um, maybe you heard about Waldensian students from the great controversy. Uh, to speak about the Muslim world, actually um, all my life, of course I've been living in Egypt and almost all my friends were Muslims. So actually, it's, hard, it's harder for me to deal with Christian or Adventist people than to deal with Muslims because I've known them all my life. And to tell you the truth, what you hear from the from the news and the politics and everything, they give you a bad image about Muslims because Muslims are really nice people. They're loving, they're peaceful, they don't want to, to harm you. And they accept you. Um, I, in, in my ministry, uh, in the university, I... Um, Almost all my friends are Muslims, and um, I faced some problems, challenges with exams on Sabbath, and uh, I was so insistent that I'm not going to attend the exams on Sabbath. Since I want to be a medical student, that's really hard. I'm taking a scholarship, I can lose the scholarship, and uh, I'm sacrificing maybe medical school if I fail any course. But uh, I was persistent that I, I, want, I want really um, leave my beliefs for any exam, even for medical school. And um, I prayed about it, the whole, everybody who knew about the problem prayed about it, and when I faced the problems, I tried to share it with my friends. I told them, I, I am Seven Day Adventist, I believe in this. And it was weird for them because the major uh, church in Egypt is Orthodox Church. And everybody knows, the Muslim world know that uh, Christians drink wine and or drink and eat pork, and they worship three gods, and yes, they have a bad idea, but they still treat them very well. Uh, but then when, when they, ah, and they go to church on Sunday, but then when they say, sort of, you don't want to take an exam on Saturday? What's wrong with Saturday? Saturday is just fine. Everybody can take an exam on Saturday. But then uh, when I started explaining my belief, and I'm saying, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. We do this and we do that. We don't eat pork. We don't, we don't drink. And they started saying, "There's something different." But then, some of the, my friends said, "You've got to take the exam after all, Annie. What are you going to do?" But then uh, I said, "No, God is going to open a way." And believe me, I had um, an, a Muslim professor. He's um, he's actually one of the Muslim Brotherhood. And I went to him and I spoke with him and I said, "I cannot take the exams on Sabbath. Do whatever you want. Give me a harder exam, but I cannot take it." And I had two exams, and he said, okay, fine, if this is your belief, I am, I'm really supporting you with this. I said, amen, alhamdulillah, God is, God is good. <laughs> but actually, that wasn't what happened, because he went to his coordinator, to the, the person who puts the exams and the, the, the dates, and unfortunately, this person was Christian. And as soon as he told him, there's this girl, and she's speaking about that, and the person said, no way let her speak with me so i called him on the phone but my professor gave me the number and i called him and i said i'm a seven a advent i said i've never heard of that and i started explaining my beliefs and then uh he said okay fine i'll give you a makeup for one exam but you have to come to the other i said no way no no no. it doesn't work like this i cannot come to the second exam but then he said okay fine if you if you don't come you're going to fail the subject so i went back to my professor and said uh, there's no way, I, I cannot find a way. And amazingly, this professor told me, who's, who's, a, who's a Muslim Brotherhood? He said, if you trust in your God, he will open a way for you. <laughs> and I was amazed and I said, yes, I'm sure of that. And let's see what happened. That was at the beginning of the semester. Uh, then after that, uh, so many things that happened and I went to speak with the, uh, a little bit of a higher level in the, uh, so I, I speak with about the problem. And um, they, they spoke with the professor and asked him, you, you need to give her a makeup exam. And uh, they spoke with me and said, go to the professor and and he will he will uh, give you the, the date of the makeup exam. But actually, this professor didn't want to, to know, uh, or he didn't want to, to give me a date of the exam because my professor is the one who's arranging the date. But this professor wanted to see this crazy girl who wanted to take the Sabbath off. And I went there and I found the whole department, the mathematical department, knew about it. And he was like, he was trying to, to show this crazy girl in front of everybody. That's the girl who spoke over the Sabbath. And I had the opportunity to speak with everybody about it. <laughs> Believe me, he brought me the hardest exam ever you can ever imagine in mathematics. But thanks God, I got an A. And <laughs> people sawing this, they said, yeah, that's amazing. That's a miracle. And that's how. I I faced other problems with exams on Sabbath, but that was a highlighting experience that people saw, Muslims saw that you're different and your God is working with you. There there, there is something weird there. There's a miracle that happened in, in, in your experience. And actually, I have a friend who's now going to my other friends. She's Muslim. And whenever there is a makeup exam on service, or I mean an exam service or a class on service, she will go to the professors herself and tell them, Sarah is a 7 day Adventist, please don't give her the, the class on service. So, um, just to tell you, uh, the, the idea of, of, of Muslims are really cruel people, that's not true. They are kind people and they love others. So... Um, as, as we said, Sylvia is working in the literature department. I'm a Wal-Dinsian student. We have the Centers of Influence in the Middle East. We're trying to reach out for these people. And Christians in the region, they don't want to open up. They don't want to mingle with them. and They're, they're closed in their churches. In Egypt, we have 90 million people. 12 million of them are Christians. And less than 500 are Adventists. But you know, the 12 million are, are closed in their churches. They don't, they, don't want to make, they don't want to mix with the community. They don't want to speak up. They don't want to share their Jesus. They want to be inside their churches. But that's our time. We want to go out. We want to reach out to them. We want to tell them, this is Jesus. This is is the light of the world. We want to share the love of Jesus with them. And that's our opportunity. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah. Going to ask Marshall McKenzie if he would come now. Uh, Marshall wasn't expecting, none of these uh, guests were expecting this. They just came to, to be here, but they can't sit quietly. Marshall, tell us a little bit about your
2: um, I'm in charge of our literature development um, and resources for the Middle East. We are currently working in um, four different languages. We deal with Farsi, Turkish, um, Arabic, of course, which is three-quarters of our language, and also French because we have North Africa as well as the Gulf as well as um, Turkey and the Middle East. So, um, you know, there are out of the eight largest cities in the world, six of those cities are in our territory. Um, There are 500 million people in our part. It's all in the 1040 window. And uh, out of that, we have about 3,000 Seventh-day Adventists. So there's one Seventh-day Adventist for every 150,000 people. Um, It is literally one of the most unreached areas um, in the world, and one of presents one of the greatest challenges, but also we see some of the greatest potential. Um, And the two young ladies you just heard from is is part of that potential. Um, We're looking for for young people that are willing to say, hey, I'll be a Waldensian student, I'll I'll work in a center of influence. Um, I'd love to deal, we're starting actually this next summer, we'd love to have some students, we're doing a literature evangelism program. In, um, in Lebanon and we're also going to start doing some student work in Egypt where we're able to sell some literature We've finished some health tracks in Arabic that we have we have the great hope we have steps to Christ we have So we're doing some things with literature and and utilizing literature um, in Creative ways because we have to be creative in the Middle East and um, how we use our literature and so Um, Our Waldensian students use it. It's very interesting. One of our Waldensian students had the book The Great Hope in his bookshelf in Lebanon, and he had a Muslim friend that came in, and he looked. Now, you look at a bookshelf, and you see many books, but one that caught his eye was The Great Hope, and it's a small one in Arabic, and so he looked at the book, and he said, that's really interesting. And the Waldensian student said, well, you want to take a look at it? And so he handed him the, the literature, and he said, yeah, I really like this. He said, well, you can have it. He said, no, I'll come back tomorrow. And so he put it back on his shelf, and, and that Muslim friend of his came back just for that book and said, that's the book I want to read. Um, we're selling um, books, actually, at Sunday Market. Um, we have a lot of Syrian refugees, uh, Muslims that are buying books, and their favorite is Patriarchs and Prophets. When they see the word prophets, it's like, I want that book. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they read it. And so it's exciting to see some of the things that are developing. But there's a huge work, and, and it's, it's, it's a major uh, work. And what we're able to do um, is affecting work in other parts of the world as well. So um, it's exciting to see how the Lord is leading and how he's guiding. Um, let, me, let me share another challenge, and I know this is kind of apart from the subject somewhat, but I want you to pray for our young people in the Middle East. There's not very many. Uh, someone, a friend of mine, just asked me, hey, are, are, is, is they married? Not that he's interested, he's married himself. But he said, are they married? And, and I said, "You know, they're not. And you have to realize, because you have a small number of Adventists in the Middle East, this is one of the challenges for our young people, our Adventist young people. And we have a lot of Adventist young people that are marrying outside Adventism because they have nowhere else. And so there's, there's some challenges within the church that we face, but there's also challenges outside. So I want you to keep them in your prayers. They're doing an incredible work, and it's exciting to see their faith as, as in this part of the world as it's developing and how the Lord is leading. So anyway, and you, we're at the Adventist Mission booth, and you could talk to Sarah and Sylvia more, and we have a little bookmark that we can hand out, and just gives you a little more.
1: Great. Where, where will you find them? At the Adventist Mission booth, okay? Marshall McKenzie and if you want can you folks just remain here after the session if anyone wants to get an email or any contact information that would be great. Let me just say one thing and then I'm going to introduce a dear dear friend here. Um, I was flying with a group of students to another part of the world. I'm going to be vague about this because I don't want you to know which country it was (coughs) but at the airport the students were doing like students do in most places and that's last-minute cramming. We were going to Benin, Africa, to do some evangelism with Cher Him. And the students hadn't quite gotten all their sermons ready. You know what I'm saying? So in the airport with their laptops, they're working on their sermons. Some of you can relate to this. And the difficulty was that their sermons included many pictures of Jesus on the cross. And eventually some people in the airport started noticing this, and security was called. I was at the other end of the airport <clears throat> doing my own studying, and a student came to me and said, Pastor Elsa, we need you to come because there's a problem. I said, I don't know you. Who are you? If you have a problem, go somewhere else. And he said, No, 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 I'm serious. There's a problem. Would you come? As I came down, I could see this uh, officer with several soldiers, about half a dozen soldiers with him. And I knew something was going on, and so I greeted him, Salam Alaikum, and so forth. We greeted together, we talked together a little bit, and uh, I, I want to relay, uh, allay his fears. So first of all, I said, just to let you know, we're passing through. We're not staying in your country. We're going to Africa. Here's a letter of invitation. We're going to Benin, and we're going to do some, the church there has invited us to come. So this is not anything for your country here. He began to relax. I said, you know, there's something I like about Muslims. And he said, oh, really? What's that? I said, I like the fact that you worship a big God. Allah Akbar, you know, God is great. He said, that's wonderful. I said, I've been to some places where they worship many small gods. I like the fact that you worship a big god. He turned to the other soldier and he says, yes, 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 you know, (laughs) see Islam, you know. I said, there's something else. I like the fact that you pray five times a day. When I come to a Muslim part of the world, I'm reminded to pray throughout my day. I like that. It's important to pray. And he turned to his soldier, yes, yes, you know, see Islam, you know. And he was beginning to to soften up a little bit. I said something else. I really like the fact about Islam is you're very family-oriented. I said to him, do you have any children? I have two sons. And of course, he was very proud of that. We talked a little bit. I told him about my two children, my wife. And we visited together. And he pulled out pictures of his kids. Now things are warming up a little bit, you know? And uh, I said something else I like about Muslims. uh, You don't eat pork. I said, we don't either. He said, look, I know about McDonald's. Every American eats pork. I said, no, actually we don't. Really? I said, ask some of my students. Ask them. And they said, no, no, we don't eat pork, you know? I said, something else I like about Muslims is you don't drink alcohol. Well, you're not supposed to, you know. And I said, actually my students, we don't drink alcohol either. He said, no, come on, I know about Michelob and Miller and all those beer companies. They all come from the States. And he said, I know, I've seen the movies. Everybody in the States, cheers, cheers. You know, he just saw that TV program. Are you sure that's the way America is, you know? And uh, so I said, ask some of my students. Now, I'm hoping and praying. And, and uh, so he asked them, they, they said, no, we don't drink, we don't drink. And he asked each one of them. And he came to one, and one of the guys said, Well, actually, I used to, but since I gave my life to Jesus, I don't drink anymore. The guy was shocked. By this time, things are going well, and he's turning to his soldiers, and each time he's saying, yes, 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 uh, you know, uh, Islam, 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 you know. So I thought, now it's time to just put a little punchline in there. So I said in something, I had noticed something in his shirt pocket. I said, something else about Muslims. You care about your health, and, and we don't smoke, you know. And he looked at his cigarette pack in the pocket. And he goes, you know, I'm going to stop for Ramadan. When Ramadan comes, I'm going to stop smoking, you know? And all the soldiers are kind of laughing. Hey, he got him, he got him, you know? <laughs> the gentleman said to me after we visited for a while, he said, uh, <clears throat> what are you doing for dinner? How long are you here? I said, well, we have 12-hour layover. He said, I'd like you to come with me to the officer's club for, for lunch. <coughs> now, folks, that doesn't usually happen that way. But God sometimes compacts in a few moments what the Holy Spirit can do, you know? Amen. But what I want to say to you is if you treat a Muslim with respect, with kindness, treat them with dignity, and with some understanding of what they believe, you'll be amazed how hearts and doors can open, okay? And you don't need to go all over the world. They are everywhere as brothers and sisters. Let's get to know them better. Andres, please come. You have our remaining time here this morning. This is a dear friend. You can greet him in English or Spanish or Arabic because he knows those languages or is learning them. And uh, he's our chaplain, Middle East University in Beirut, Lebanon. This is an avenue school that has uh, a great opportunity for outreach. And uh, Andres, tell us about your work there. Welcome. Thank
4: Adventist. you. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, my, my work is
4: quite different of the girls' and... Uh, the rest, I'm not working directly with Muslim, but yes, in Middle East context, in Middle East culture. Uh, doesn't matter if there are Muslims or Christians. In Lebanon, we have 50-50, Marshall, right? Around 50% Christian, 50% uh, Muslims. Um, and our work there is, is, like Marshall mentioned, is hard. We are few Adventists. We are few believers. And also in the group of Adventists, you know, <laughs> we're few. Uh, so, uh, but I want to just, I want to say something because last Friday, yes, last Friday in, in Beirut, a car, bo- a car bomb killed one of uh, the former ministers in, in Lebanon, in Beirut, in downtown. But it's only this politician, it's only these men. They're not terrorists, please take off the, this idea from our, our, our minds, our hearts. They are not terrorists. They, uh, they are not like in other countries, every crazy guy go with a car and boom, everything blow, no, they're not terrorists. More than that, they're friends. I have some pictures, uh, we don't have time to share the pictures, but I have some pictures that the people, uh, they, they give you everything possible. Oh, if they invite if they are inviting to to eat for a meal <laughs> please don 't eat the two days before you go to eat there because they will give you a lot of food and they will give you more and more and more and no thank you oh come on, come on a little more a little more oh they really uh, oh yeah oh <laughs> okay, thank you pastor <laughs> um, yes, my wife um, we are in one of the places there. The place is beautiful, the people is amazing. You can go there, you can study there. In our university we, we have some programs for, especially for uh, those who want to learn Arabic, we have an ICA program, program. And you can go through some places in Middle East and you can know more about the, the culture and the people there. But the people is amazing. They are so friendly. It's more than, so, so, sorry for, for this, no, but I'm from South America. So it's more like Latin style for us, Argentinian style, that we hug for everything, we kiss for everything. We are so big families, and yes, they are a lot. <laughs> big families, big friends, good friends, always try to connect with you and talk to you. Uh, in Lebanon, we have 50% Christian, 50% Muslim. In our university, we have probably two, two and a half Muslims, two and a half they are Muslim in our university. Uh, The rest are Christians, but um, they are very open and ready to learn about you and about your your religion. And one important detail for every Muslim and every other culture, I I think, is I have here a Lebanon Argentinian flag I bought this in Argentina. We have a big community of uh, Middle East people there. Uh, if you show your interest in the people, in the culture, in your country, if you say, Look, I'm, I am, I'm from Argentina, but I love your country also, if you say these kind of things, they will really love you. Mm-hmm. They will really love you. They will open their houses, their tables, their hearts, and they will receive you and they will learn about you and you. That is a way to share the gospel today. We cannot make big campaigns uh, in, in tents or in big churches with a big, uh, I don't know, great speakers. But if you are friends with them, like the, the girls are doing in Egypt, and we have people in, in Lebanon doing the same, if you're friends, if you just share with them some moments, go and eat something, go and play football. In our university, this is the last one probably, Pastor Russell sometimes enjoys us. In the university, we have a court, a football field, and a group of Muslims uh, from the Muslim area, they, every Sunday they came to play football against a group of us in the university and the high school there and some people from the union also. Uh, every Sunday, they came to play football uh, with us. It's just this kind of relations, playing football, eating, sharing with them, this will, sh- will uh, open the doors to share the gospel, to share about God with them, to share about Jesus. So if you, if you want to learn more about this, you can contact what, each one of us, uh, and we can share with you more about this place that really, that pa- Pastor Marshall mentioned, really, really need you. God bless you.
1: Thank you Andres, just one last point here, you notice up here Waldensian students, that may not be a familiar term for you. If you are in university or graduate school, Middle East University will help you relocate to a school in the Middle East. For example, we have a Brazilian who decided to stay in Lebanon and do his studies rather than going back to Brazil. And he's now our Christian witness on that campus. Okay, So that's the idea. If you're willing to go somewhere and study, at the same time continue your education. But your real purpose is to be there as a witness for God. You can see Brian Manley's uh, email address up there. And again, it'll be on our uh, handout also. And uh, contact them. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Centers of Influence is another kind of mission approach and that is where we are establishing in numerous places centers of positive influence. Uh, we have a, a center in downtown Beirut that is now a center for reaching the Syrian refugees. Tremendous needs. Marshall.
2: Just talked about our center in the Washington Post this last week. All right,
1: tremendous need. Uh, The Syrian refugee problem is a huge one, one of many. We can't get into that now, but there are vast opportunities. I'm going to close with one thought. I was in Toronto, Canada, at a meeting. I met a lady who is a, a nun from Albania. And I said, Where do you live? She said, I live in Egypt. I said, Really? How long have you been there? She said, Well, I've been there about 12 years. How long will you stay? She said, God called me to Egypt for the rest of my life. As long as I'm alive, there will always be at least one Christian in Egypt. Think of that commitment. Think of that kind of dedication wherever you are.
0: This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.